Talk Back Matters from the Salvos. You look sweet upon the seat of a bicycle built for two. The Tour de France starts July 2, with entrance cycling around France till July 24. 21 stages covering about 3,470 kilometres of the French countryside. And if you watch it on TV, it's like the best tour of French villages and French countryside that you could ever do for free from your armchair. It's just fantastic live coverage of the countryside. The first Tour de France was in 1903 and the bikes they used didn't look all that dissimilar to the bikes that we rode up until the last couple of years. Now of course they've added that extra suspension style in the framing, but uh, they were pretty similar to what we were riding when we were kids. Ten years before the first Tour de France, in 1892, an American had ridden his pushbike right across his country, from the east to the west coast, and then he continued around the world, across Japan, Asia, and was virtually on the last leg of circling the entire globe solo on a pushbike when he disappeared in Turkey. He was riding the new type of bicycle, the safety bike, which in 1892 was really the equivalent of the modern bicycle that we have today, basically out with the penny farthing and in with the lower bike with inflatable tyres. And this guy, Frank Lenz, set out to ride solo around the world on this new bike, but he disappeared in Turkey somewhere. The author from Boston, David Herlihy, who researched the story and put it into a book form called The Lost Cyclist, is a Harvard grad and sat opposite me in a cafe recently, enjoying a cappuccino and discussing Frank Lenz's incredible, almost audacious attempt. If we editorialise just for one brief second, do you think that he was a totally bored out of his brain accountant? Uh, people thought he was he, certainly a reckless sort, no question about that. It's, you could see that in, in his style of riding the high wheeler. And it turns out that he came from an unhappy home, so there definitely was a backstory to this trip. He had, uh, I, I think a, a game plan, we would say, that, that made some sense. If he had succeeded, he would have uh, been in a good position, I think. I find it amazing that he had so much to take with him on that journey. And I also read that uh, he had a gun. Uh, he did bring, uh, it was a gift from the local uh, cycling club before he left for his protection, a Smith & Wesson uh, revolver. So he, uh, he brought that along as well. And he had, uh, one, I think, one change of clothing. Of course, he had to bring some tools with him. So the bike itself, I think, was 57 pounds with no gears. And then, you know, his extra gear must have been another 40 pounds at least. I read uh, in the story that a friend or someone tried to dissuade him from going to Asia, saying that you might get killed. And his response was, I expect to be. Yes, there's a sense that uh, at one point that he's, he feels doomed. Um, and so it's unclear to me whether he really had a death wish, but I, I think he started off very confident, and uh, I think after some very uh, close calls in China, he realized that uh, it was by no means a given that he would return alive, so I think he, he knew that he was... Uh, facing some serious uh, trouble. By the way, I love the pictures in the middle of him riding the penny farthing. What did you call that? Uh, I call it a high wheeler, but yes, it's a penny farthing. Most people know it as that. And Well, he was very passionate about that type of bicycle and probably would have done his world tour on one if, it, if that had been uh, practical. But by the time he starts out in 1892, the, the penny farthing is really obsolete. So uh, he knows he's not going to get a sponsor unless he rides this, the new safety bicycle. That would have been something of a coup, that sort of a bike, wouldn't it? It would have been like this extraordinary uh, leap in development, inflatable you know, tires. It was, but when Len started out, uh, it was still quite a novelty, uh, especially the inflatable tires. Nobody had ever ridden them over such distances. And really, he's in, in some ways, I think you could credit him with, with sparking the bicycle boom, because that really doesn't happen 
until he's well on his way around the world, halfway around the world, around 1893, 94, um, it, it really explodes. You know, I will say it, it took a great deal of research to reconstruct this story. And How long had you spent researching this before you were ready to write? How long? Did I spent at least, well, solid four years uh, researching Lenz's story. And of course, also the other cyclist, Sockleben, the fellow who went looking for Lenz, I researched him as well. Um, tell us some of the dangers, the encounters that Lenz faced on this journey. Well, he starts out crossing the United States. He decided to go west rather than east the way Stevens had done. And, so crossing our great west um, in the 1890s was certainly a challenge. Get your kicks on Route 66. Get your kicks on Route 66. There weren't roads to speak of. He would often ride on, on railroads, with the, and that presented some danger. Um, just finding food and water. Um, was a challenge, but his real challenges uh, began when he, after he left Japan and he uh, attempted to cross mainland China, uh, and, and the main challenges were really the hostility that he faced as a Westerner riding a very strange uh, machine that, that uh, the locals were uh, totally um, unaccustomed to. So that's when he uh, was at times attacked uh, by rock drawing villagers and um, I think his, his greatest dangers were really from the from the locals who uh, resented Westerners and saw him as, as something of a threat. Uh, he did get through China um, and then the next great challenge was crossing Turkey which unfortunately he, he wasn't able to do. Well I read there uh, if only he'd not taken the shortcut and gone through Russia instead. That's true. I think that's probably true that he would have made it if he had done that, or he probably should have hired himself uh, some guards on horseback to escort him to that very dangerous portion of Turkey. He had about a thousand miles to uh, almost uh, directly across Turkey to cover, and once he had reached uh, Istanbul, then Constantinople, I think it would have been pretty smooth sailing for him because he would have crossed Europe and that would have been relatively safe. So he was really very close to completing this trip. He disappeared in Turkey, and his predecessor, who was uh, one of his heroes, went searching for the truth. And can you just go into a bit of what he found out? Well, William Sarkleben, his name was. Um, but yeah, when he got there, uh, he was hampered in every way because uh, Turkey was really falling into chaos. Um, waves of, of massacres going on. and. Uh, but nevertheless, he did come up with an explanation of uh, what he believed happened to Lenz. He accused a Kurdish chief of having uh, killed Lenz, and a trial would ensue, but um, the results were not very satisfactory. I was reading how you were mentioning that it was primarily thought of as being robbery. Yes, it wasn't entirely clear whether there was some um, vengeance factor involved, but essentially Cory de Sockley-Ben Lenz was killed for his belongings, for the money he had on him, you know, which is certainly entirely possible. I mean, this was known, the caravan road that he was on was known to be very dangerous for Westerners, and the nomadic Kurds had a reputation for attacking vulnerable foreigners uh, along the way. You know, without finding uh, the body, um, it's difficult to draw firm conclusions. David Herlihy, author of The Lost Cyclist, the untold story of Frank Lenz's attempt to cycle around the world in 1892. 
David mentioned how it took him four years of research to reconstruct the story and to be able to put it accurately in book form, which resonated with me for another reason as well, because it was reminiscent of a man from antiquity, a physician, a scholarly man, in the years after Jesus' death, called Luke, who researched the events surrounding Jesus, speaking with eyewitnesses and then putting into book form what actually happened. We can read this account today. It's the book of Luke in the Bible. And the first paragraph says, Many have attempted to put together an account of the things which have been fulfilled among us, just as these things were passed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the message. For this reason, it seemed good to me as well, having investigated everything thoroughly from the start, to write something orderly for you, most honourable Theophilus. My aim is that you may know the certainty of the message you were taught. And then Luke goes on to retell the extraordinary events chronologically that happened 2,000 years ago surrounding Jesus, who he was, what he did, and how he rose from the dead. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine